Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life. Now, I'm your host, Francine Belly, and I show purpose-driven entrepreneurs, CEOs, and professionals a powerful pathway to become recognized thought leaders in their field, increase their visibility, trust, and profitability. So join me and my guests every Tuesday for inspirational stories and practical strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make the money you deserve and lead a movement to change the world. Well, I'm really, really delighted today to have in this episode, Jessica Farm. She is an HR professional founder and CEO of Blackness and the Workplace, and also a podcast host on a mission actually to advocate for equality in the workplace for Black professionals. So, and I've noticed actually Jessica informative posts on LinkedIn, and uh, I listened to several episodes, also her excellent podcast that you should definitely listen to. And uh, I thought I'll invite Jessica to share her perspective in this season on employee ambassador, what we are talking about in this season of uh, the podcast. So hi, Jessica. Welcome Hello. to Work Meaningful Life podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. It's uh, really a pleasure to have you. <laughs> well, I know that you have a big online community out there, but for those who don't know you, tell us in your own words who you are and what you do. Okay. So, um, again, my name is Jessica, and um, I am an HR professional. That's, that's my, my trade. So I have experience with hiring. I have experience working with um, managers and clients. I have experience on the HR side of things, as we call here in the States, uh, with managing employees. And now I've moved on to learning and development. So under the HR human resources umbrella, or some companies call it the people team, um, I have a variety of uh, different experiences that I try to help educate um, people about. I'm a big believer in education, advocacy um, for people who don't know how um, human resources work, especially in a corporate setting. Um, in addition to that, I started Blackness in the Workplace back in 2020, which was a very interesting year with COVID and everything else. But um I started that because, again, it was important for me to talk about my experiences as a Black person in the workplace and to center um, the information and the knowledge that was given from the perspective of uh, a Black person working in corporate. So that's kind of the the gist of who I am and the work that I do. Mm, that's a wonderful. Yes. So 2020 was a very interesting year, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh so tell me is there one thing that most people don't know about you one thing that most people don't know about me just from like a career perspective or just like any sort of anything thing? any kind of thing that people might yeah. not know <laughs> uh, I, I guess like the, the one thing that I always share with people that I think is kind of a fun fact if you will is that I am a big fan of Star Trek I'm a Trekkie so mm -hmm. um you don't see it I will filter up but um I have a lot of Star Trek in my office. I have a lot of Star Trek stuff everywhere. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. And uh, that's kind of where I go for my happy place. So. <laughs> that's 
Wonderful. Okay. So tell me, before you actually jump into the HR, um, you know, um, uh, landscape and everything, what's your background? Have you always been in HR or what's your background before you get there? Oh, so HR was not my passion or my first thing I wanted to do at all. So I graduated with my undergrad. I graduated with degrees in journalism and mass communications. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I had and I graduated at a very bad time. So in 2010, coming right off the financial crisis. And so I just I had to put aside that I did do some writing, but I had to kind of like find a job. So I've worked as I worked in client, like supporting clients, executive assistant, and I did call center work. I mean, I was a jack of all trades for a long time, just having a lot of different um, jobs. And then finally, as I got older, I was like, you know, I actually want to find a career. I really want to find something that I can put time and energy into so that I can grow in my career and command more money. Because as you move around, you're not you're not really doing that if you're bouncing from one field to the other. So um, I started my first I got into recruiting first. I started at Manpower and I had a lot of customer and client experience. And so I was able to transition that. And so I decided to stick with that and develop that, that, that career. And I went back to school to get my master's and it just kind of went from there. So yeah, I had a lot of different roles and then I, I went into recruiting and then I decided to pivot that into HR and, and I've been in there. Mm, okay that's uh very good yes yeah, so finding your way from this journalism degree and uh you know finding yeah. your way there and uh end up here which is good so when you look back very very when you were younger very very young 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 what did you want to do when you grew up um, <laughs> do you have any any idea where you like those people like they're two different groups there are people like for five years old they know exactly what they want to do and then there are the people who just go from one idea to the next yeah I didn't really have a set thing that I wanted to do as a little kid um it's funny we ask kids what do you want to be when you grow up but that's not you know every, every most people's paths are so um varied that you you got to be a very in, um, kid that's very much in tune with themselves to know from the age of five and then to follow through. But I, I remember wanting to be an archaeologist, and that was only because the movie Jurassic Park had came out, and I, you know, I, I saw the movie and I thought that would be kind of cool. But then if it went away, um, it wasn't anything set. I just, I never really thought of, thought about okay, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. It was, it wasn't like that for me as a kid. When we think back now, um, in terms of what you how to came into HR, how did you now finally end up focusing on blackness and the workplace specifically? Oh yeah, so I always tell people what happened was kind of years in the making. So um, as I moved up into my career my work world became whiter and whiter. And so it was very difficult. I was running into dealing with a lot of microaggressions and discrimination and outright racism in the workplace. And for a long time, I would be the only black woman on my team. And I'm, I'm the only black woman on my team now. And I was always asking myself, why am I dealing with a lot of this? Like what's going on? You know, I'm doing everything that I've been asked to do. I've, I've gone to school, I work hard. I've actually had more education and more experience a lot of times in my white my white peers i went back to school to get my 
Professional Human Resources Certification, which here in the States is called the PHR, and it's actually a, a pretty important certification. And I got that on the first try. A lot of people fail that test the first time they go out. So I was always going above and beyond. And you can look at my LinkedIn profile, my resume to kind of see that I'm always doing something. And yet I was encountering so many different barriers to get promotions. Um, I was having managers who weren't trying to invest in developing me. And then I remember in 2016, there was a hashtag on Twitter called Black Women at Work. And it was Black women from all around the world, from all walks of life, all different levels. And they were talking about the experiences that they were dealing with in the workplace, the racism, the discrimination, the microaggression. And I realized I wasn't alone. And I don't know why I didn't realize that, but it was it was nice to see, okay, there's something there. And so from there, I start integrating myself into these online communities of Black professional women. And then um, I jumped on a few podcasts. And then I decided to create Blackness in the Workplace to actively center the Black experience um, in the workplace and start giving advice from the lens of a Black woman who has experienced these things. So that was my journey. And um, and that's what I've been doing ever since with my with the content that I create. Mm, yeah, that's very, very interesting. Yeah, it's actually when you see like uh, at the moment, uh, a group of people actually, and then you finally saw, see that, oh, well, I'm not alone in these things. So mm-hmm. let me go and join this community and also be a voice. Um, I love that. So when actually, I know that you are also working um, in a corporate at the moment. What people say, you know, when you have like your very strong brand, where you are talking about what you are doing as blackness in the workplace and also, you know, your own role in that corporate. So what do people mostly say in your workplace? Yeah, I mean, I've had jobs when I apply for them would not interview me because they did not like what I posted online. And I find that to be a blessing in disguise. A blessing, that's it. Because, yeah, I would never want to work somewhere where I can't be myself and can't speak to my voice and my experience. I actually relocated. So I'm originally from Wisconsin, which um, is in the middle of the United States. It's the Midwest. It's very conservative. Um, I'm from Milwaukee, which is a city in Wisconsin. It is a very segregated city. There's a lot of young professionals of color leave Milwaukee as soon as they can. And they go to New York, Atlanta, DC, LA, whatever. And I decided to move out to Seattle after a friend of mine told me to come out here for all the reasons that I talked about. And when I first, when I applied for for the job that I, the company that I'm at now, I emailed my former manager and I said, you know, I'm interested in this role, but I would like for you to see my resume and look at my LinkedIn profile, go to my website. And if you don't like what you see, then we don't need to talk. And to his credit, he went out there and he he saw, he heard, listened to my podcast, went on a website, he saw my LinkedIn, he looked at the content and he was like, you have a, you have some great experience. I like what you're putting out there. And I interviewed and I got the role and I flew out here and I and eventually I moved, I moved out to Seattle. And ever since then, I have quite a few people from my company um, who follow my content on LinkedIn. And I don't censor myself. I don't put anything crazy out there, but I'm very clear about my message. And it has not been an issue. You know, I am who I am. And I and I've told people 
if you have a problem with what I'm talking about, because I'm all I'm talking about is equality at the end of the day, equality. And if that's your problem, that says more about you than it does about me. And so what are you going to do? And um, and for me, it's been great. You know, I've had people listen, co-workers who follow me, who listen to my podcast, who engage in my content, who share my content. Um, but the culture here where I'm at too in Seattle is a lot more progressive and forward thinking than where I came from. Where I came from, it was a problem. But now that I'm here, it, it has not been. At all. Wow. So that's been, yeah. that's been yeah. great. Yeah, that is so, so, so uh, refreshing to hear that because usually people tone down because they are working in an organization and they don't want people to really, um, you know, they don't want to rock the boat, right? So they yeah. are afraid of putting their views out there. And in your case, it's the other way around. So you put your voice out there and you even invite your <laughs> prospective employer to go and find, you know, whether they like it or not. If they don't like yeah. it, you, you are not a, ma- a good match. But what, how, how, I don't know, it might be a personality thing to be able to do this. How can we empower more people to actually share more of their voice and not be afraid to just say, this is who I am. This is what I can bring to your organization rather than wanting to fit in all the time. Yeah. yeah, I will say that for me, it was a long journey. I just got to a point with myself where I'm like, you know, I don't stop being black just because I go to work and I don't stop this dealing with discrimination just because I walk into a corporate office. It is, it is very much a part of my life. And I believe that people need to be educated about the different experiences of others. I myself have followed other content creators who are trans, um, Asian American content creators, people with different lives, walks of life than I do because that helps educate me to be a better human being. And so um, that's really where my philosophy comes from. However, I get a lot of messages from people who say, I really wanna engage in your content but I don't want my manager to see it. I don't want my company to see it because I don't want to get in trouble. And I can understand that, you know, not everyone can be like me. Not everyone's in a position to get online and, you know, drop a meme or say something because they work at a company where they might receive pushback and people got bills to pay and families to support. And I respect that. Um, So when companies are saying, you know, now we're, post George Floyd, you, you've had companies say things like bring your authentic self or, you know, we support the voices of people who are diverse or whatever. Um, my issue with that is that sounds good in theory, but a lot of companies don't have, they have not cultivated a safe space for people to do that. You know, if you are going to say that you support Black voices, for example, you have to be able to support the voices that don't agree with you. You got to be able to support the voices that might call you out personally. Are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to do the work? You know, you have a lot of white people will say, well, I'm an ally. You can't tell me you're an ally. I tell you you're an ally. And you're an ally based on the actions that you do. Anyone can say that they're an ally. But what's, what's the actions? Are you willing to support me and my voice and stand up for me? Are you willing to be called out yourself on the things that you're doing and without getting sensitive? And if you're not willing to do that, then people aren't going to speak up. And it's the same thing with companies. If you, if you are a company where you have not cultivated safe spaces, you're not supporting 
your business resource groups, those are where you, you see a lot of that diversity. If you're not offering paths for growth and um, support and mentorship for your employees of color, then you're not going to find that in your organization. So you have to do the work first and you got to listen to people and you got to listen to what they say and don't be so offended when they say things that you may not like to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is actually, yes, uh, uh, you know, the difference between really wanting to do the work and just saying that, especially even here in Europe after the murder of George Floyd, that, okay, we want to do raise this and we want to do that, but actually the resources and the, the culture, the change is not really happening because, you know, they are not really making much. They are not changing really the culture. So, and um, it's almost like, yeah, things are just, are, are you prepared to do the work? I love that. Yeah. You know, when you ask, are you prepared to do the work? Because this is not just like, I also had um, a conversation with another woman actually, who actually say, yes, do you, have the right tools in place you have the right resource in place to get when those people come on board are they going to be supported so if you're not prepared to do that kind of work yeah so there is a problem because i don't know if you also know about that if you have been seeing that i've been reading on uh, online on FT about a lot of diversity and inclusion executive kind of leaving their company netflix yeah. So oh, yeah. um, and and I'm just wondering why are those people leaving their roles? Is it because there's no resources? Or... They're not being supported. Yeah, and, being yeah supported. and there's been a backlash, um, especially here in the states on um, diversity work. Uh, me personally, I've always said that I don't. I've never worked in diversity. I am HR, and you know, I have a diversity lens, but I don't work in DEI. I don't necessarily believe in corporate DEI because a lot of it feels performative to me. It doesn't feel like companies are really about the actual work. Now, where I'm at, I feel differently. I feel like um, there has been work that has been done. No one's perfect. No one's in the utopia of diversity. I mean, it takes time, but um, people know when companies are being genuine and then when companies are just faking. Yeah. And and if you're at a company that's truly being genuine and, and, and really out there doing the work and offering these programs and services to help and whatever it may be, that means so much as opposed to a company that's very like performative and they're just saying something, but you know, data matters. And if you don't have any data to back up what it is that you're doing or and, you know, no one's really vouching for you then that's performative and people can see that. And that's where we, we have a lot of those issues. And that's why a lot of DEI professionals have left because they're not getting that support. It's very performative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I can see that. Yes. So in this season, uh, we're going to talk about employee advocacy and uh, having a, a chat with you last time, I've realized that employee advocacy means something different in some certain um, uh, circumstances. Uh, before we get to employee advocacy, in, you know, in the lens that I want to bring it uh, in this discussion, which is employee ambassador, you have a very good um, or a very uh, unique perspective also on what employee advocacy is all about. Can you tell me what you actually talk about when you talk in terms of employee advocacy and how people can advocate actually for, for themselves? 
Yeah. So for me, like, like, like exactly that. I believe in people being able to advocate for themselves. And so a lot of the work that I do is centered on that. So, you know, when I, you know, my podcast was really about educating people about employment law. You know, here in America, employment law is really foul, but it's important to know what it is. You'd be surprised how many employees, how many people just don't know um, what does right to work mean? What does employment at will mean? How to work and engage with HR? I get a lot of messages from people and they'll say to me, you know, Jessica, I'm I'm having trouble with my manager. What do I do? Um, uh, I'm trying to go to HR and they're not working with me. What do I do? And it's like, okay, it's important to know how all of these things work because the more knowledge you have, the better you can advocate for yourself and you can get the things that you need to get. And so employee advocacy isn't, necessarily companies advocating for their employees, which they definitely should. I mean, that, that's not a, a bad thing, but it's, to me, it's even more important to advocate for yourself and say, these are the things that I know, these are the things that are going to happen, or these are my boundaries, or, you know, I know the law, you can't just disrespect me and do this. Um, one article that I share a lot with people is an article in the New York Times, and this was a few years back, because um, one of my big things I always talk about is keeping receipts, making sure that you have documentation because people don't get that work is a business transaction. And just mm -hmm. as you will keep a receipt when you pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever, you need to keep receipts when you're dealing with people. And so in this article, this black man, he was working for J.P. Morgan Chase and he was dealing with a lot of racism. He was a personal banker from his manager and it was just a lot. And what he did was he recorded everything. He recorded every single interaction he had with his manager and documented it. And so in the end, he was able to bring forth a lawsuit and his manager got fired. And I'm like, this is a great example of advocacy because nobody would have believed him mm. if he didn't record anything or, you know, have receipts. So for me, advocacy is really knowing the laws, knowing how things work and making sure that they work in your favor. Mm -hmm. when, when you say that, it sounds so... Um, you know, yes, this is what people should be doing. But it's kind of, you know, sad to know that, you know, we just go into those kind of uh, jobs, not knowing what actually is the law and what we can do and passively just get all those performance reviews when we don't agree to, etc. And then we don't have any power to do anything about that. Mm -hmm. How can we at scale you know make this knowledge it's like it's it just funny it's like even you know it look like we learn stuff at school which are not very useful usually yeah. in real life right and then when we get in real life we now have to navigate and learn what we definitely need like we we spend like how many years 50 plus years in office in work but we have no clue how does work and be able to advocate for ourselves, you know? Yeah. Is there any way that we can start to think of a way of systematizing this knowledge to everybody so they can know? I know that each country may be different in terms of employment law, et cetera. But is there a way of, um, um, you know, uh, again, talk to a lady who has like a platform that uh, she also tried to uh, give uh, that knowledge to people. And from your perspective, how can we get that in? to a much larger scale where people yeah know. that 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 is the question you know schools don't really teach children how to think for themselves it's really about conforming and so when you go into the workplace as an adult 
a lot of people feel like they don't have the power to stand up to their company because, you know, this is my, this is how I support myself. You know, I need a job. I have to work. I have to pay bills. I have to support my family. And all of those are valid. And so you have people who are like, I have to just work. And, and I always say for people, sometimes a job is just a job for everybody. It's not passion for everybody. They don't care. They're like, here, I'm not here to be an advocate. I'm just here to get paid. And that is fine. I feel like everyone's path is different. Everyone can't be on the front lines. But when it comes to knowledge, it's, you know, a lot of this information is deliberately kept from people. And I'm, I'm talking about everybody. It's deliberately kept from you because they don't want you to know that you don't have to sign a PIP, a performance improvement plan, if you feel like that's not fair. You can request your manager to meet with you weekly or biweekly. That's their job to help develop you, support you and grow. You can leave a company that's not working for you. Don't worry about people labeling you a job hopper, you do what you need to do. A lot of this information is kept from people. And so for me, you know, my platform is what it is, but it, I have a following, but I would love to be able to look at, you know, there's people who wrote books. There are people who, you know, have podcasts and, and, you know, there's TikTok that's, you know, people are using social media to push out this information. Um, but there does need to be um, a more, a, a more larger scale. But I will say that Again, when you do that, the issue becomes you start to blur out the uniqueness of different groups. So how I move in the workplace as a black woman isn't going to be the same as how um, a white woman or um, a trans person moves in the workplace or somebody with a disability. So we need to be careful about homogenizing that information because it, again, goes back to it will you know, take away the voices and the experiences of different people. It, all of that can be supported. There just needs to be a way to do that. Hmm, yeah, I think that's uh, so um, 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 on point what you say, because we run into the risk of saying, oh, this is what is good for everybody. And yeah, then, and yeah, right. And, no, and that's the yeah, specificity of each community. And each yeah, group, uh, what yeah that's why like, I'm very clear when I, like, I talk about Black people because it is unique. You know, one of the posts that I had, uh, this was about maybe a year or two ago, I said, white people are higher based on potential and black people are higher based on experience. And there is the, therein lies the problem when it comes to black people getting into these corporate roles and being able to move up and grow and develop because we don't have, we're not given grace. We're not given the opportunities to say, hey, you know, Jessica doesn't have this experience but I see potential in her. Let's bring her on and pour into her and support her and nurture her so that she can grow. We don't get that. You know, we have to already have the experience in order to get into these jobs. So like you said, everyone's experiences aren't the same. So I don't want people to say, well, one size fit all. You know, when I do my recruiting work, always there's this trend or was this trend on um, LinkedIn where people will say, hire people based on passion. It's like, no, that's not how things work. You have to, there's jobs that require experience. If you're going for open heart surgery, who do you want to have? Somebody who has 20, 30 plus years of experience and know what they're doing or somebody who has passion. That's just not how it works. And so, um, and it definitely is not how it works for Black people in the workplace. So pushing back on that and, and, and again, making sure that people understand that different people experience different things and we need to make sure we respect that and acknowledge that.
Mm, that's really, really insightful, actually, to understand that Black people get hired based on experience and white people based on um, uh, potential. Yeah, right. that is, that is, that is, yeah, something that's mm, very, it, it, very it, insightful. It, it is true. And a lot of white people will push yes. back and be like, well, I got hired because of my experience. And, I, and as somebody who has worked in recruiting, I've seen so many resumes. Yeah. I know that that's not true. I've I've seen white people, white men especially, get hired with little to no experience because someone believes in them. And they're like, I believe in Mike. I'm yes. going to support Mike. I'm going to make sure he has the resources to succeed. And even if he fails, that will be a, a teaching moment for him and he can move on. And so you get a lot of white mediocrity in corporate America. There is a lot of mediocre white people in positions of power everywhere because they are, it's set up for them not to be the best, just be white and you'll be all right. And for black people, it's like, I have the job, the, a lot of the jobs that I have, I've had to have so much experience. And oftentimes you have black people who are overqualified yeah. for these roles because nobody will hire yeah. them otherwise. Yeah. And then you also have a lot of black people who are afraid to make mistakes mm -hmm. because they know that making mistakes will cost them their job. It will set them back because no one gives us grace. No one says, okay, Justin, you made a mistake. That's fine. Let's learn from it and move on. You know, I used to work at a company a few years back, um, where I made one mistake, one mistake. It was very minor. Um, I was off with the pay. It was off by like a dollar or whatever. And I told my manager and I said, this is a mistake that I made. I caught it, I fixed it, and this is what the next steps are. And um, eventually it, it just kind of blew up. Never mind the fact that I had won an award. I got, you know, all these different things. I ended up being let go from this company. Um, and it just, it, it, it very much is true about, um, you know, black people having have to have experience, not making mistakes, and you're supposed to be able to make mistakes. You're that's how you learn, and that's how you grow. And a lot of us are held back by that fear because of the things that we deal with. Very, very, very insightful. Wow. Okay. So yeah, let you know if we think of now the topic of employee ambassador on you know um, in the kind of context that I'm setting it is like. Companies need to have some prerequisites for me to become an uh, employee ambassador or becoming a brand ambassador of my company. They need to have like some something. I need to be happy to work for the company. Perhaps the company may not be perfect, but there may be some prerequisites. What would you say will be some of the prerequisites that you'll see that, you know, people will be much more happy when the organization has some of those to get out there and really become brand ambassador for their company outside of the organization? Yeah, so I will say first, before you become a brand ambassador for the company, you definitely want to make sure that you're clearing it with the company first, because not all companies want their employees being ambassadors. You know, that's why they have a marketing department. And here in the States, a lot of people have gotten fired from their companies because of the things that they put on social media. So you have to be very careful with that relationship. Um, if that's something that you, you want to do. I mean, me personally, I don't, I'm not an ambassador for any company that I work for. I just, I'm just not going to do that. Um, 
But some people love where they work and they really want to promote it and that's fine. But again, just make sure that that's something that your company wants and if they want you doing it. Now, when it comes to being an ambassador, companies should allow employees to promote the things that mean the most to them when it comes to the company. Everyone's experience at the company aren't, isn't going to be the same. So if you have an employee who's really passionate about business resource groups, so that's where you see a lot of E&I work happening. And if they want to be an ambassador for that segment for, of the company, then they should be allowed to do that. You don't want someone to be a jack of all trades. People should really be promote the things about the company that they like. You know, if you work for a company that has really great benefits, um, travel benefits or whatever, and you're someone who really likes to travel and that's what you want to promote, then let that be your brand. Um, and I, I have people at my company who have branded their LinkedIn after our company um, with the logos and the colors and all that stuff because they, they really like that. But it is important to remember that your LinkedIn page is your page. It doesn't belong to your employer. They don't get to tell you what you can or can't post as long as it's not racist or crazy or anything like that. But mm -hmm. certainly, um, and, and then companies should support that. if Because when it comes to recruiting as somebody who's worked in this industry, the best, best way to get people is word of mouth. So um, companies can do whatever they want to do to promote themselves. But people are more willing to listen to other employees or former employees talk about the company. And if they're saying, hey, this is a great company to work for, I'm, you know, I really love being here or I love working there, people are more willing to respond to that. So there's a balance that companies need to have with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's a very good insight, actually. Yeah. So, um, uh, in terms of what you actually do with blackness in the workplace, how can employees and companies can really benefit the most of what you are doing? Listen to the podcast. Follow, follow me. Engage in the content. You know, when I post, I always for a lot of my content, I open it up for other people to comment. And so you'll be surprised at like how many people would just comment and share their experiences. So when I talked about, you know, white people are hired based on potential and experience, I had a lot of black um, people all over just sharing their experiences with that. Um, and that's a great way for people to come in and don't center yourself, just come in and just read this, read this and be like, wow, this is a systemic issue. When I talk about racism in the workplace or microaggressions or um, what we call the pet to threat, where black women will come into the workplace and they're treated well, and then eventually something happens and they're treated as a threat and then put out of the organization. Listen to not just my voice, listen to the stories of other people who are commenting. Um, listen to the podcast and 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 follow other black content creators because we're all we're not a monolith. You know, there's there's black people who are LGBT. There are black people who are you know trans talking about their experience. There there's so much. Listen and listen and and learn. You know, no one's asking you to to change the world, but sometimes listening and being sympathetic goes a long way when it comes to the content that we put out there. And that's what what I hope um, happens with, you know, I've had, like I said, I've had a lot of people in my company who follow me and have engaged in the content and 
I have not had an issue. You know, they're like, I've never saw this perspective before. I've never thought of it this way. Or, you know, this is not my experience, but I'm grateful that someone is speaking about it. That goes a long way to making change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, totally right. You know, very much so. Um, so if we think in terms of uh, perhaps some of the companies that you see, you've seen out there without necessarily naming name, do you have any um, example of some good company who have been actually, um, you know, really succeeding at least to make a change and perhaps uh, on the other side, some who actually are very, very bad at uh, doing those. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's mixed. You know, I'm fortunate to work for a company where I work in the, kind of in the center of it. And so I see the work that's being done to address systemic issues, um, to create pipelines, to give diverse talent. You know, I sit on um, our internal disability advisory board at my company and we talk about how to make things accessible to people and 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 in ways that I didn't think about. Before. You know, when we do video chat, making sure that the closed caption is on, making sure that people can access the elevators to get, you know, just different things that you don't think about. But it, it goes a long way. And so um, that's an example of a company who is listening you know, who is listening to people like me who are not threatened by the content I'm putting on LinkedIn or, you know, or threatened by the podcast or anything like that. Um, they're actually actively listening and having those conversations. And then I've worked at companies where, especially back in Wisconsin, where I came from, like I didn't, when I was in Wisconsin, there was not really a single company that I worked for that was truly about the work. It was very much about their brand. They didn't want to be hurt. Um, like I said, I worked at the company that I spoke about earlier. They're very brand heavy, very brand focused. Um, and I remember my former manager, I had wrote an article about keeping documentation and making sure that, you know, you know how to interact. And she had a conversation with me and she was like, yeah, you wrote an article about documentation. That that makes people look, that makes us look bad. That makes HR look bad. And I'm like, how? how does it make HR look bad when I'm just speaking about the rights that you have as an employee? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I would, I would love the name names. I'm not really afraid to drop names of companies, but I want to respect your podcast, but <laughs> for my podcast, I will name names very quickly because mm -hmm. I don't care, but, um, yeah. Um, but here where I'm at in Seattle, you know, I don't know every single company, but, um, the feedback that I've gotten from people is that, there, there seems to be a better sense of that here as compared to where I came from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that, yes. So, yes, yeah, so for NHR actually, actually being even threatened, but what you, is it like she's, or she's trying to protect? Is it like a secret that you are kind of spilling out or, or you know, you, I don't understand. You, the she, she was at the company for a long time and this company is very brand sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so um, she felt like when I was talking about how to work with HR, because my company's name was on my LinkedIn profile. And from then on, I actually believe that because I no longer want to be associated with any company. But um, she felt like that reflected negatively on the company. And she was just 
Like she was just very sensitive to the content. Eventually, I actually blocked her on LinkedIn after I left the con. I just blocked her. I'm like, I I don't like people policing my voice. I don't allow anyone to tell me what I can or can't say. But um, she she was very sensitive about that, and it just was. It got to the point where I was like, I don't feel like I can be myself here. Mm-hmm. And and then those things happen, and I end up leaving. So it was it was for the best. I actually am glad that I got out of there and, and just left that whole area. And now I am where I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for if you have some advice to give to some leaders out there who want to really start this journey of you know being this kind of um, inclusive and also making their company really a great place to work and for people who want to become their brand ambassador, what would that advice be? First, you got to create safe spaces. Mm-hmm. And doing that is talking to your employees and making sure that they are comfortable talking to you and being okay with people not agreeing with you. Part of being an advocate or an ally, whether you're a person or a company, people may say things that you don't want to hear because in order for us to change and grow, you got to be uncomfortable. You got to be challenged. And that includes hurting people's feelings. So if you're super sensitive and you don't want no one telling you that you're doing wrong, then you're not ready to do this work. But if you're ready, you need to listen to your employees. What do they need to feel safe? Because your ideal of safe and their ideal of safe may not be the same. And so we need to have those conversations about what the safety means in that context. You need to support voices of people who don't agree with you um, and find out why. Maybe you're missing something and you don't know. And, you know, having that conversation may open your eyes to something. When it comes to people being the ambassador, I feel like if if, if an employee wants to do that, they, again, need to really run that with their company because that can get very, very, very quickly. But a company should embrace that because, again, when it comes to hiring, people like hearing directly from those who have worked there about the company because companies can make up stuff and say it's a great company in order to get people to come. And it allow people to promote the things about your company that matters to them. Like I said, if a company has a very strong diversity inclusion program and if someone's really passionate about that, let them promote that. If you have a company that has really good travel benefits or do a lot for the community, if someone's passionate about those things, let them do that and support that, you know, support that work that they're doing and don't feel threatened by it because that's a good thing that somebody is like willing to give up their LinkedIn profile or to, to really promote you because it shows that they they care about you and nurture that. So mm-hmm. don't 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 be afraid of that because that's how you keep people too. You know, there's companies that I've worked for where people have been at the company mm-hmm. for like two days, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's others where people have been there for years, mm-hmm. and because they like being there, yeah, and and they they believe in the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. And uh, the first thing you you said, like, uh, being okay and being uncomfortable when people tell you stuff. I think that's the biggest and the hardest things that people really struggle with. How can people get to a place where they are comfortable? It's not that they are comfortable because an uncomfortable conversation is not a comfortable conversation. But 
is there some tips to managers who feel uncomfortable? Because I did some DNI also training and then a lot of things that people actually talk about. Oh, this is a so uncomfortable conversation. How do you get people to embrace that uncomfortable conversation? Is there a yeah. way? <laughs> I would, you know, it's always, there's not a way to prepare. I would just say, just prepare to be uncomfortable. Just know that you're going to go into this and you're going to, hear things that are going to challenge your perspective and be okay with that and and come in there say i want to grow and growth has to be uncomfortable otherwise what are we going through yeah and if you come in with that mindset and don't take it personal Mm -hmm. then that you that's half the battle Mm -hmm. and that's what um that's what propels change yeah but if you're coming in already defensive you know, coming in with a, you know, and as you coming in with an attitude, or you, you, you're, you, that's the energy that you're bringing in. That's the energy that you're gonna get. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would definitely say just be prepared to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that that is what helps you grow. Mm-hmm. I love that perspective of growth and uncomfortable. You know, is you know, you, you, this is how you grow. Actually, you don't grow by being in your comfort zone, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Step up and to grow because that's a new territory something new for you and then it just makes you grow so that's a very very good perspective and this is now the last part of our conversation which is about the 3m of um, this podcast is all about meaningful work and meaningful life and i love asking these three questions so where do you get in terms of meaning your inspiration from what gives you meaning in life what gives me meaning um it, it has taken a long time to get here, but really just learning to love myself has given me meaning, um, the value, who I am as a person and what I have to put into the world. That gives me meaning. And um, yeah, like I said, it's taken a long time to get there. But now that I'm here, that that motivates me. Feel nice. Wonderful. So now is the money side. So I'm feeling so generous. Oh, I have one billion pounds, which is 1.3 billion US dollars today that I'd like to give you, how would you spend that? And, um, you know, what would you do with that? And how would you spend your days after that? Yeah, so if I had that, that would be, first of all, that'd be kind of scary to get that kind of money up front, you know. <laughs> but um, what I would do is definitely, you know, pay off debt, um, make sure I put money away for my, you know, for myself, for my future, if I have any children, I do have two parents, so um, I need to make sure that they're cared for and take, you know, retired comfortably. I have a brother and a sister, um, making sure that they have a trust set up. My niece, really just making sure my family, my um, family is good. And then um, I honestly would retire from my corporate job. I would travel. Um, that's really important to me. And then I always like to write. So I would love to just kind of get back into my creative writing space. Um, I have been able to do a lot of that. But I don't want to live extravagantly. I don't need to go out and buy the biggest house on the block or the most fancy. I have two cars. They run. They're good. Um, I will probably even stay in my condo that I brought two years ago. I, I really don't care about material things as much as I did when I was a kid. Um, I just want to be comfortable and just just live life and just you know, start a family and just be with them. That's really where I'm Take at care in my of life. Family. Put, put yeah, absolutely. Into, yeah, so um, no financial uh, worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good, actually. So now, oh, how do you want to be remembered for? 
you know, um, I'm still young. <laughs> so I'm still building, I guess, a legacy, if you will. Yeah. But I just want to be remembered as somebody who was honest about who she is and her values and very clear about what those are. I think a lot of people tend to shape and mold themselves based on who it is they're talking to. And I don't like that. I, You know, I like people who are who they are, no matter who they're talking to, no matter what they're dealing with. Even if you don't like it, I respect people who are consistent. And so for me, I am someone who I'm, I have a very clear moral compass that I follow. And you know it when you get to know me. Like, this is what I believe in. And I believe in equality. I believe in respect. And I, I believe in accessibility. And, I, you know, I believe in all those things for everyone. And so I want to be remembered for someone who, who believed in her, her, who stood in her beliefs, someone who has is dependable, because I think dependability and consistency and transparency, those things are a big deal to me. So um, nothing grand. It doesn't have to be any grand, but I just want to be remembered as a as a good person. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So now how can people reach you and learn more about you and your work? The best way is just follow me on LinkedIn. I post content Monday through Friday every week. Um, so, and I do engage when people leave comments. Like I always try to engage with, the folks that follow me um, so that they know that I'm just not posting stuff and you know and I don't post anything for clout I'm very consistent in the content that I pr produce and I think the people the people that follow me know that like I have a very distinctive voice on LinkedIn um, I don't really care about the number of followers that's just never been my jam but if you are interested in the work that I do You know, LinkedIn is a great way. I do have uh, my website on LinkedIn, blackensintheworkplace.com. I'm going to be revamping that at some point, but it is out there. My podcast is still out there as well. I'm going to be revamping that as well. But yeah, just LinkedIn is a really great way to follow me and engage in the work that I'm doing. Wonderful, wonderful. On this great note, thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me today and sharing all these brilliant, brilliant ideas that actually I'm sure that our listeners will really ponder very carefully. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Yes, grow from this conversation because this is all about having meaning in life, right? And uh, thank you so much for sharing those gems and it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that is it for today. And before we go, don't forget to subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast if you love what you've heard. The show notes of the episode are on my website, francinevillay.com slash podcast. Once you are there, you can also take the free personal branding for impact test. It's only two minutes and you will discover the score in seven key areas to improve your career, or business success through personal branding. It's quick and it's free. I will see you next week for another episode of season nine. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.